Uh, we can read about a lot of his life in the book of Acts and he seems larger than life, hard to kind of relate to as a bloke. Uh, we can read thousands of his words that we've got uh, recorded for us in his letters to the churches in the New Testament, but they were really written nearly 2,000 years ago and it can still be tricky to build a picture of what he's like. And so I think today's passage is really helpful because we get a wonderful glimpse of Paul's heart which is nice to get to know Paul, but more than that, it actually points us to God's heart. And I think through that, God is helping us to reflect on how our heart should be shaped. And in particular, I think through all of this, we get a wonderful glimpse of God's grace in giving us the gospel to share with others. We'll see the Apostles Paul, passion for that, the wonderful gift of being included in that process of inviting other people to know the wisdom of God revealed in Christ. So, with that in mind, let me introduce you to Paul. We've got on the screen for you, um, you can still go and visit his hometown. The city of Tarsus is now a a part of a three million uh, sort of strong metropolis in modern day Turkey. That's where he was born, born to Jewish parents who held Roman citizenship and they gave him the good Hebrew name of Saul. We know from Acts chapter 22 that as a young man, Saul, as he was known, studied in Jerusalem under one of the foremost uh, Jewish scholars and leaders of the time, a rabbi named Gamaliel. And in various places in the New Testament, we, we read about Paul's life as a profoundly devout Jew. Uh, he was zealous for the Jewish scriptures and the honour of the God of Israel. In fact, he was so zealous that as a young man, uh, he was involved in, in seeking out and persecuting Christians who were perceived to be this, this offshoot cult movement, blaspheming against God because they claimed that this guy, Jesus, was God's Messiah, his appointed king, even God himself. And Paul was so passionate, so zealous, that he even participated in the execution of Christians under the, the religious law of the time. And we can read about that in Acts chapter 7 and 8. I can pull the, pull the map down. Thanks, Joel. So that was Paul's early life. But then in Acts chapter 9, um, well, and also recounted in a bunch of other places in the New Testament, we made about, read about his encounter with the Lord Jesus. He's hinting at it in what we've just read here in chapter 3, the way that his encounter with the risen Lord Jesus, after Jesus has died on the cross, risen to new life, he's appeared to his disciples, and then Paul himself was on the road to the Syrian city of Damascus, going there with the very intent of, of rounding up the Christians there and, 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 and arresting them and who knows what their fate might have been, when Jesus stopped him in the middle of the road. Hence, we hear of you know, the, the phrase that a road to Damascus experience, something that turns your life on its head and, and, and turns you right around because that's exactly what happened for Paul. And of course, the irony was that Jesus met Saul as he'd been known and commissioned this persecutor of the church as Jesus' own servant and sending him to spread the gospel, the announcement of Jesus to the Gentile world, which is astounding for so many reasons, but if you just pause to reflect on one of the great ironies of that, it takes Saul, uh, he was meant to take the message of Jesus that he so hated to the Gentile people outside of Israel that he had so long despised. That one encounter with Jesus shaped the entire rest of Saul's life. He became known as Paul, um, probably because Hebrew, uh, Saul is sort of the Hebrew form and, and, and Paul is kind of the, the, the Greek form as he became a missionary to the Greeks. 
to the Gentiles, traveling throughout the northern Mediterranean region, planting churches. And through his life's experience, well, he was loved and welcomed by many people, the Ephesians in particular, but he was hated and ridiculed by many more. He faced death threats, he suffered shipwrecked, he was flogged, he was imprisoned, he was falsely charged and then finally he was sent off to Rome to answer his case in the imperial court. It's an amazing story of a life transformed by his encounter with Jesus. And here in Ephesians chapter 3, God gives us a wonderful glimpse of Paul's heart as he responds to God's grace. And I think it challenges us to reflect on the state of our own hearts as we respond to God's grace to us. So rather than look at every detail of what we've just read, I want to highlight two things in particular in Paul. If you've got the outline, you'll see it highlighted there. Paul's motivation and his passion. And then we're going to think about how that impacts for us today. So first, look at what we see of Paul's motivation. You remember that by the time we've finished Ephesians chapter 2, Paul has just finished marvelling at the church that God is building, both his universal global church, but also its tangible expression in, in the humble local church with all its complexities and challenges, where ordinary people from every background are taken from death to life, brought together in Christ. And so, chapter 3 opens, for this reason. See, Paul begins to start to tell them how this truth of God's grace in Jesus prompts him to pray for the Gentiles who've now been brought into the family of God. But he pauses mid-sentence and we'd be like, that's kind of clunky, why did he do that? Helpful for us to remember, he didn't have a laptop. He was writing in ink on papyrus, so he didn't get a chance to delete, 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 or, you know, copy-paste, put that paragraph over there. He pauses mid-sentence because he... He's struck to reflect on, on why he is simply so passionate about the Gentile people hearing of the grace of God. And that's what we have from verses 2 through 13 of what we've just read, this, this little summary of Paul's own experience of coming to faith in Jesus and why it has turned his life on its head. Of course, he doesn't give all of the details here. He, he lived with the Ephesian people for two, three years, so they knew his backstory. We, we can read in other parts of the New Testament to get some of the detail. But we remember that here Paul is recounting this most influential event in his life. And we see how, it, we get a glimpse of how that's motivated the rest of the shape of his life. He sums it up there in verse 2. It's the grace of God. If we pull that up on screen for us, Joel. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. You see, having read Ephesians chapter 1 and 2, it's, it's no surprise that Paul's big motivation here is the grace of God. He's been kind of overflowing in his delight in God's grace, hasn't he? But do you see a surprising aspect of it here in what we've just read? That God's grace is twofold. First, just like Paul's been riffing on for two chapters, it is God's grace that saves us, forgiving us our sins, that have kept us separated from God. It's God's grace that saves us into his family. But here, we get a glimpse of a second aspect of God's grace, that it was God's grace to Paul that he was given the gospel to pass on to the Ephesians. In his grace, God gives us a gift of new life in Christ, yes, but Paul's point here is that he was also given the gift 
of proclaiming the gospel to the Ephesians and to the Gentiles like them. And Paul goes on to show why this is such a gift and just how motivating it is. Because Paul is just so pumped that in the gospel, something previously hidden has been made known. Did you see how that was described as a mystery? We're not going to try and pull all of this up um, for us right now, but if you've got the passage open in front of you, in verse 3, the gift that Paul has been given is the mystery made known to him. In verses 4 and 5, he unpacks that a little further. It's, It's the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. Verse 6, it's the mystery, and finally he tells us what it is, that through the gospel of Jesus Christ, Gentiles, well, they're three things. They're co-heirs, they're co-members, and they're co-sharers in the promises that are in Christ Jesus. How exciting is all of that? Actually, let's be honest, it might not actually have us sitting on the edge of our seats at this point. I don't want you to feel guilty about that if that's the case. We're reading this letter nearly 2,000 years after Paul wrote it and, and it's, you know, it's towards, in my book here, at page 1007, you know, in the midst of this Bible that has been compiled for us. I think we can get a little bit numb to the very things that Paul was so passionate about. But the point that Paul is making is very simple. Up until Jesus, it was a mystery, hidden, intriguing, perhaps even kind of confusing. It was a mystery to wonder how on earth God was going to fix the mess of this world, how he was going to deal with our individual sin, but also how he was going to repair the consequences of our our shared sin. I mean, God had given his promises to the descendants of a bloke called Abraham, a family who became known as the Jews and who grew in time into the nation of Israel. Over time, God had gradually revealed his plans and his purposes to them. But even, even for them, at so many points, they were left scratching their heads, wondering, well, how, how is God going to bring it all together? And in the meantime, as good as that was for that small family and that small nation, in the meantime, the, the world was a mess. Nation, wars against nation on a global scale. Families are constantly breaking apart at home. Drought and flood and famine and disease and, and, and the mighty ones, they abuse their power. The vulnerable ones, they suffer. This is the story of humanity. All through this, humanity either gave up hope or looked for it at the feet of every and any idol that they could craft. How is going to God going to actually fix this? But then... God solved the mystery. Well, actually, more accurately, he unveiled the answer that he had known all along. And this, this is what got Paul's blood pumping. The thing that motivated him was that God's plan, once hidden, was now made known. And he had the incredible privilege of making it known. It was such a privilege that it meant that for Paul, it was shipwreck or or flogging, or imprisonment, or being homeless. It was all worth it. It was all worth it, because he knew the personal impact of it. I think if we can pull up verse 7, that is helpful for us to see on the screen for us here. Thanks, Joel. 
Paul reflects on his own personal experience of it. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. That's the personal impact that motivated Paul. He went from persecuting Christians, least of all people, he was out there hunting them down, seeking their execution. He went from persecuting Christians for speaking about Jesus to grabbing a megaphone and joining them. But it was also the impact that it had on everyone who would believe that motivated Paul. I think we see that that part of his car come through here. That this plan of God is relevant to all people, not just an exclusive few. That's the beauty of this mystery made known. It, it began as some enigmatic promise to Abraham. It grew through the riddle of the kingdom of Israel and, and it seemed dead and buried in the puzzle of the exile, if you know your Old Testament history. But now, this mystery, this plan that just seemed so exclusive to such a small group of people and so hard to see how it would play out. No, this is, this is God's plan for all people. It's for all people, including you and me. I'm going to take a guess, just Australian census stat says that most of us are Gentiles. If you're a Jew, well, you are very welcome here, just as if you're from India or from Pakistan or from, from any other part of the world or cultural background. That is how big God's plan is. That in his wisdom, he would use the tiny nation of Israel to be a blessing to the whole world, <laughs> reaching even the furthest corners of the globe, like here in Adelaide, 2,000 years later. But it's not only a big plan. Do you see how Paul sees that it is so, so, so very good? Verse 12, do you mind pulling that up for us, Joel? Verse 12, that in Christ Jesus our Lord and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Now, I don't, I don't know how you feel in life what the shape of your life and routine looks like. But if I'm really honest with you, most of the time I feel like I'm flying by the seat of my pants. I'm kind of making it up as I go. This thing called fatherhood, whew, I'm scrambling just to keep up with the kids. But I'm scrambling just to keep up with my inbox, to keep up with the news cycle. At so many points, I feel like those friends of mine who've graduated from teaching school and they talk about their first year in the classroom and just, they are just scrambling to stay one day ahead of the kids so that next, you know, tomorrow when they've got to run that science lesson, they, they, they know a little bit more than the kids do. I think it's a pretty good picture of how I feel about life at points. And I don't think I'm the only one. I know you know it in your life too, if we're honest with ourselves. We can all see it in the lives of those around us, generally trying to hold it together. You know, the phrase, you know, fake it until you make it. Let's, let's, let's push on, friends. And this is what, this mystery that Paul has, has understood and now wants to make, no, it, it holds promise for. Not that it will declutter your inbox or suddenly make fatherhood a breeze, but that it will put it all into perspective. That instead of scrambling through the mess and chaos of life on our own, 
we can approach the creator of the universe with freedom and confidence. And Paul's already given us a wonderful description of what a privilege that is in in chapter 2, that though we were dead in our sins, God has brought us close to himself in Christ. And now I think he's showing it from another angle. Because we are dust. We are puny creatures in a galaxy that spins around our head at speeds that we just cannot comprehend. I don't even understand the way my own mind works, let alone trying to work out how to get my kids to make a sensible decision at bedtime. Like it's beyond me. We are but dust. We are so fragile. And yet we can enter the very throne room of God himself. We can approach the one who doesn't... He doesn't just get Einstein's theory of relativity. I know some of you might. I certainly don't. He doesn't just get it, though. He built the universe that Einstein was trying to describe. God isn't merely competent in every human language spoken. He actually crafted the very hearts and the minds that are trying to express themselves through what they say and they write. This is the wisdom of God who who runs it all and loves it all. And this God has made his plans for the world known to us in Christ. His plans that are all centred around Christ. And Paul, we get a glimpse of his heart here, right? He is so motivated by the wonder that in, in Christ, God's manifold wisdom is made known, was the phrase that he used there. In Christ... The simple, confused, overwhelmed members of the human race like you and me, we can approach the throne of God with freedom and confidence. Now that, I think, is wonderful. And so in verse 14, for this reason, he picks up his prayer again, right? Having reflected on on what so motivates him, Paul now helps us to see what he is so passionate about in light of this. As he tells the Ephesians what he prayed for them when he approaches this majestic God. Let's read on the screen together from verse 16. Thanks, Joel. What did Paul pray in light of all of this great truth? I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. He asked that they would be strengthened by the Holy Spirit at work in them so that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith. Which is to say, he just prays that they would be Christian people. Because a a Christian is someone who the Spirit has brought to a state where they are fit for Christ to dwell in them. And to give us an image, to, to help us to picture this, Paul uses the image of a flourishing tree with a really well established root system. Joel, we've got a picture of this just to try and capture something of this image for us. In verse 17. He goes on, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. You see, to have Christ dwell in your heart through faith is to be like a root, uh, sorry, a tree that has put its roots down in love. It's an image of a tree with roots that hold it firm and nourish it 
It's lifeblood because it's established and nourished in love. And, and here in the context of what we're reading in Ephesians, this isn't just the, sort of the abstract idea of love that the pop songs sing about. No, these are roots that go down deep into the love of God in Christ. But this love of Christ is it's so magnificent that it's not just where the roots go down. You see how he's, he's, he's sort of riffing on this image of this flourishing tree because the love of Christ is so magnificent that it's actually what it reaches, this tree reaches out for and reaches up to as it, as it grows and thrives. It is, it is thriving in the love of Christ that it, it, it can never fully fathom. It can never fully grasp. And that's what Paul is so passionate about. He longs for people to know the joy of being rooted and established in the love of God in Christ in a world that is just so full of chaos and, and frustration and confusion, to grow and thrive and flourish in that love. Because that was always God's plan. To bring his fragile, confused, sinful creatures close to himself and to surround us with his love, that we might flourish in his love. In fact, it's so comprehensive a picture that this tree isn't just growing in love, it's actually being filled up. Hard phrase to get our heads around. Being filled with the very fullness of God himself. I don't know about you, but I want that for myself. I long for that more and more. And as I pause and think about it, I would love that for my friends. My friends who are just so often, when you scratch beneath the surface... When I have those phone calls in the moments where the guard comes down, their wheels are just spinning, trying to keep up with the anxieties of life. That they would know God's wisdom in Christ. That they might learn that for all our scrambling, we can draw near to the one that sits at the centre of it all. The God who knows every beat of my heart and every corner of this universe with freedom, with confidence. How I would long that God would turn their lives the right way up. That he would make his wisdom, the wisdom of his eternal plan in Christ known to them. So even though that doesn't make you know, life in this world simpler, with all its complexity, it is done in his presence. Rooted and established and flourishing in love. I want you to keep that picture in mind or you know, replace it with a better picture that you might have of a, a favourite, well-rooted, flourishing tree, that you might kind of think, well, that's the kind of life that I would love my friends and family to share in Christ. Now, it's not just Paul. Of course, it's the same kind of passion that countless Christian missionaries over the generations have shared, which is why I love reading their biographies, because I think getting a glimpse of Paul's heart is contagious. I think getting a glimpse of, of the hearts of those who have been so gripped by the love of Christ that they want to, they want to make it known, it's contagious. So, a um, little reading recommendation. Um, I've put the details of this on the, the outline in the Sunday Hub. I could mention loads, but here's one that I have loved reading. Uh, Give Me This Mountain by Dr. Helen Rosevere. Uh, it's a wonderful account of a young woman who left a comfortable life in 1950s England to go and serve as a medical doctor in Belgian Congo. And to anticipate where the story goes, volume one, Give Me This Mountain, uh, volume two, he gave us a valley. Life was not easy for Helen Rosevere to say the least. And yet, it is a wonderful account of a life deeply rooted in the love of Christ and longing for others to know it too. 
So friends, I want to ask, as we catch a glimpse of Paul's heart, how does this challenge us to reshape our own hearts? Well, I've got a few observations. We're going to race through them. Honestly, the only reason that I'm racing, and I'd be happy to spend more time, is simply because I want to I want to set a groundwork for each of you to think this through in your own context. So these are just potted thoughts. First, I think our glimpse of Paul's motivation and passion calls us to review what our passion in life is too. You know, like Paul, the New Testament makes it clear that we have all received God's grace in that twofold way. First, in forgiveness and salvation, but second, in the grace of being made messengers of the mystery of Christ. That doesn't mean that we all become itinerant preachers, uh, that we all have to become Bible scholars suddenly, but that we are given the gift of inviting other people to know the joy of approaching God with freedom and confidence. But I think it's fair to say that we all find all kinds of things to get passionate about, don't we? Whether it's our sport, or the kids' sport, or the Renault, or the career, or the caravan... So let me assure you that the more that we appreciate being rooted and established in the love of God ourselves, the more I am convinced we will share Paul's passion, that others would know that joy too. So here's a a probing kind of challenge for you. If that is not your passion, I want to challenge you to dig deeper into the mystery that got Paul so fired up, to know the love that surpasses knowledge. It's a dangerous thing to do though. Because look at Paul, suddenly hardship and shipwreck and rejection and it wasn't so scary anymore. And you might find yourself doing things that you couldn't even picture would be your life. So first, let's, let's check our passion. But secondly, reflecting on Paul's motivation and his passion, I think it, it gets us thinking through the, the things that we do. What, what is our practice? I mean, do you practice speaking about Jesus? If a friend's asked you... Well, who is Jesus? What is your hope in Him? Why do you bother going to church on a sunny Sunday morning when you could be sipping latte down at the foreshore? Like, are you able to answer them? Can you articulate the hope that you have in, God, in, the, in, in Christ? Because I want to encourage you that it, it doesn't need to be, you know, reams of paper to set it out. But if you can't articulate to your friends where you fit in God's plan for this universe, the hope that you have in Christ, I'd really encourage you to spend some time working on that. And, and if you're not sure where to start, come and chat with me and, or, or Matt or, or Lauren, who's leading. We'd love to point in the direction of some really helpful suggestions. So as we practice, can we, can we speak about Christ and the hope that we have? Are we praying about it? Are we prayerfully asking for opportunities that, that God might give us the gift of, of speaking into people's lives this hope? both as a church community and as individuals, that he might give us a heart for the lost. Because you know you play golf with them, you go walking with them, you goof off after uni lectures with them. And as we sit here this morning, within a 10-minute drive of us, there are thousands of people who they are either struggling for direction in life, their wheels spinning as they try and make sense of it all. Or alternatively, and in this part of the world, let's be honest, so many people blissfully ignorant of the fact that they're heading in the wrong direction because life feels really good. Even if they think they've got it all together, they so desperately need to know what God's plans for this world are. 
do you prayerfully consider who you can share the gospel with as a response to God's grace to you? And then finally, I want to probe into something else very practical. Something that I know my wife and I have found a really tangible challenge and expression in this area for us, and that's to think about what it means to get on board financially with this. What are we doing with our money? Not because money is kind of the issue, um, but because I think our finances, in my own personal experiences, they are both a great thermometer and thermostat for our passions. Thermometers, they tell you what the temperature is, don't they? So it's a good chance to review your finances and, and your spending habits and, and get a gauge on what your passions are. You will, you will see the things that, are, that you're hot in life. You'll give to things that you're passionate about. You'll spend on the things that you think matter. So if you want to get practical about it, ask God to help you review your finances. But I think on the other hand, our experience has also been that, that money can be a really powerful thermostat. That's what, that's what sets the desired temperature for the heater to kind of just keep winding up to. And our giving can do that too. Because we might rationally decide what we're going to spend our money on, but our hearts will so often follow our cash. So... Spend up big on your share portfolio and all of a sudden you will be sort of engrossed in what the market is doing. Give generously to mission and you'll start praying for it, writing letters, getting involved. Because at the end of the day, God, God has given us his grace twice over. And I wonder if we're willing to take him at his word in that, that it truly is a gift to us that we have the privilege to be involved in making Jesus known. He's given us insight into the very wisdom that lies at the centre of the universe, the very heart that beats so that all our hearts can beat. And we've caught a glimpse of the remarkable work that God did in the heart of Saul, the persecutor of Christians who became Paul, a great evangelist in the history of the church. And yet even his heart points us beyond himself, to the heart of Christ, doesn't it? And for who else has so loved his neighbour, so loved the lost, that his great motivation and desire is that they would see God's plan and purpose for them and for this world, that he would be willing, so passionate was he, that they would know the love of God in himself, that he would give himself for their sake. So let's pray that that would be our passion for our neighbours too. Loving Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for just this lovely little snapshot, this, this glimpse into the heart of the great Apostle Paul. And yet we see that his heart was, was actually only shaped because he knew your heart, the love that you had poured out into his life and the wonderful grace that you'd given him that he might have the incredible privilege of, of making known your eternal plans and purposes that find their, their fulfilment in Christ. We marvel at your wisdom. Often we scratch our heads to sort of understand how it all fits together. And yet we thank you that you have given us insight into this as we read your word and, and you bring Jesus to us. And yet, Father, we want to confess that so often we, we don't share this kind of passion we might have become numb to see just how marvellous it is that you have opened our eyes to appreciate your purposes in the Lord Jesus. Father, we confess that all too easily we become indifferent to the plight of others around us, 
forgetting what a remarkable, precious treasure you have given us in the gospel. And that so many around us are just, they are wandering and lost without him. And so, Father, we confess this lack of passion and yet we thank you that ultimately, when we are in Christ, you don't look at us and see our, our lukewarm hearts. You look at us and see your Son. That our forgiveness and our hope is in Him. That you share His righteousness with us. And so we simply want to pray. Not only that we would share Paul's heart for the lost, but that we would share our Lord and Saviour's heart for this world. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.